HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a full-service marketing and commerce platform that helps restaurants get discovered, make more money, and engage their diners. Join over 8,000 restaurants already using Bento Box today to deliver better hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash hrn today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com slash hrn. World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip. So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag Chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember, hashtag Chefs for Ukraine. Welcome to Pizza Quest. I'm Peter Reinhardt, a man on a never-ending search for the perfect pizza. This show is the audio version of the Pizza Talk YouTube series, where I engage in interesting conversations with some of the country's greatest pizza makers and other artisans. Thanks for joining me on this quest. Welcome to Pizza Quest, and uh, we're here in our Pizza Talk episode with Brian Spangler, our regular uh, pizza yodi who's joining us. Uh, and we're going to flip the script today. Brian is actually going to interview me because I have a new book out called Pizza Quest, and Brian is featured in it. And so we're going to talk about that, but I'm going to let him interview me about that, that whole thing. But before we do, I wanted to ask Brian, first of all, welcome back. Uh, you're back in Portland. Welcome back from Las Vegas. You just spent a few days at Pizza Expo, the big the big expo. And some of the viewers have probably, uh, you know, been there themselves, but many have not. So can you give us a little recap of like what your experience was, what happened, any major takeaways, any discoveries? Um, it was the biggest that I've been to. Um, I thought three years ago, even four years ago, it was overwhelming, to be honest with you. Yeah. This this time, it's something like, I don't know if it was just because pizza uh, is, is so, so much more popular, gets, you know, gains popularity, and there's so many more pizzaiolos on the market, um, or is this pent-up demand of people with, the, you know, the coronavirus? Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm thinking was, post, the post-pandemic rush. <laughs> right. I think everybody wanted to get back to, to normalcy. I think it was a combination of th those two, that uh, we have a bunch of new kids on the block. Yeah. And uh, that uh, a lot of people who knew each other wanted to get back together with each other. Um, it was it was actually exhausting, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's it's overwhelming. I know. Uh, in Vegas and, you know, Vegas itself was, was just packed because it's uh, spring break. Right. And, every, and everybody's back in action for now. And right. and, uh, and you, you must be exhausted because not only were you there, but you were working 
there. I mean, yep. you were you were in a booth. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, you know who you were repping uh, and what you did uh, to help them out? Well, I'm I'm now the uh, official uh, ambassador for Pizza Master Ovens. Uh, wow. So I was working with them. Um, I didn't have any uh, anything scheduled as far as demos or uh, panels or anything. Although I snuck into uh, the panel that you and I created. That's right. Agreeing with your dough. I was supposed to be there, and I had to bail. bail so you you uh, moderated think, yeah. that panel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that was funny because uh, I showed up as a surprise, and it was standing room. Uh, the place was packed with like probably thirty people standing. And uh, Leo wasn't hadn't shown up yet. John Leo, hadn't shown Leo up yet. Leo Spaziri and John right. Arena, they were the John. panel. And they, and, they, were, they uh, got caught up in a, a photo shoot. They were in a photo shoot and they were running late. So you were right. there holding the fort all alone. There were probably right. over, what, two or 300 people in the room. Uh, it was, it was yeah, it was it was a good amount. I would say, but yeah, about 150 people. And, the, and it was, and the, we called that panel tinkering with your dough, right? These are, right. These are people who wanted to, who wanted the answers to their most pressing dough questions. Right. So I ran it by myself solo for 15 minutes until they showed up. Uh, and a lot of people in the crowd didn't know I was, you know, I wasn't listed. But, That's right. Uh, That's right. So uh, it's a good thing I was there because they would have been 15 minutes of dead air. Um, but yeah, that was great. And um, then, you know, it was off to the races in Pizza Master booth, which was overwhelmed. Uh, we had Justin DeLeon from Apollonia's. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got him to come in uh, to the booth on Tuesday, and we made a famous Frico uh, crown, crown pizza. pizza. In fact, the cover. Made the cover. Very, yeah, this very pizza that's on the cover of the book. Yeah. yeah he, did, he didn't do this particular um, version. He, we made vodka sauce at uh, Metro Pizza, John yeah. Metro uh -huh. Pizza, the day before. So it was uh, that pizza with... Uh, vodka sauce on it it was fantastic wow, but wow. Yeah, she, it was like six people deep around the booth and everybody inside looking at the oven so it was uh, it was a so, chaotic so pizza hours. master really is the you know i would say it's not a new product but it's really kind of become the hot pizza oven of the moment for the for the pizza community wouldn't you say yeah i think the last two years you know i was customer number six in the u.s six years ago Wow. wow. And I think they sold uh, like 200 to 300 units last year alone. Wow. Where are they based? Uh, well, the, the ovens are made in Sweden, but the import distribution company, MPM, is based out of uh, north of Chicago in Wheeling, Illinois. Well, all right. So, so they've got a, 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 now they've got a foothold here in the United States in Heartland. And, Very much uh, so. and you're the brand ambassador. So the, the, are they planning to send you around to uh, showcase the oven uh, aside from these pizza shows, will you be working directly with like customers or potential customers to, that, to teach them how to use it? Correct. Correct. That's, you know, I've only been on board for, you know, about three months right now. So anything from like consulting to, you know, onsite uh, demos, going to test kitchens around the country um, we're looking at also putting a test kitchen in here, uh, here oh. in in, uh, in Oregon, just outside of Portland. Oh, that would be nice for you. Um, yeah, but it's, it'll be evolving as as it moves on. You know, nice um, to be in the ground floor or something that. like that. Yeah, I'm sorry. yeah, that's congratulations because uh, it's great to be on the the ground floor floor, and you'll probably have a whole team of ambassadors. You know, like a a group that you'll be able to send out like like missionaries to. Uh, yeah, I got to get Lee Hunzinger on board. That, right. That's right. Lee's one of our favorites as well. If, and you're mentioning names of people, you know, between Lee, uh, Lee and uh, Lee uh, and uh, Justin De Leon. They're all featured in this book. And so we're going to talk about the book in a second. But one, one final question about Expo. So did you see anything new there at Expo this year? Any new new sort of styles of pizza, new new topping concepts, new new anything? Well, remember how we were t I was talking and we did the Thin Crust Tavern Right. We, yeah, we did a whole show on on the tavern pizzas. Yeah. Right. And I was saying that I think this could be the new hot thing. And as I was touring the touring the floor, yeah. I saw I saw it popping up more and more everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think we were we got out just barely in front of that wave because now it's the big talk everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, uh, was Adam Kuban there? 
uh, he was had, not, if he was i didn't see him. he rarely travels to these shows but he's the one who we had remember we had him on the show together where he where you guys did some uh some of these bar or tavern pizzas uh right. together and it was it was fun so we yeah we we basically you heard it here first uh if you and if it hasn't come to your town yet it's on its way uh, so thin crusted, you know, bar pizzas, uh, AKA tavern pizzas, AKA what was cracker, cracker, uh, yeah, style. cracker style. But there was one other term that we were using tavern parlor, parlor, parlor pizza. Yeah. So, uh, which I guess goes all the way back to shaky's pizza parlors. And Correct. so lots there to talk about. So that, so that, so you're seeing that, that emerge every time we go to an expo and I, I hated to miss it because you always see what's coming next. You start to see in the competitions, uh, some of the, the best pizzas are ones that people are, are showing you months ahead of it hitting, you know, tipping over into the mainstream. You're seeing what's coming next. We saw that with Mike's hot honey a few years right. ago. So a couple pizzas had honey on it. Now everyone's putting hot honey on their pizzas everywhere across the country. M Mike has launched a global brand of hot honey and it all started in Brooklyn at, uh, you know, at uh, Pauly G's pizzeria and then showcasing it at Expo. And now everybody's using it. So, uh, and you so have anyway, other manufacturers now making it. There's like a lot of manufacturers or the other brands out there. Yeah, he's he was smart enough to at least really do some good branding. And because, yeah, it's 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 you do something great and then everybody copies you, including the the big players. And they come in with a lot of money and they try to knock you out. They let you do all the groundwork and then they come in with a cheaper product. So right. hopefully people will stay true to, uh, you know, to Mike's Hot Honey because it's uh, it, it, he got it going. Um, right. OK, well, this is great. I mean, I know that um, there's probably a whole lot more that you could talk about, but. Um, let's talk about what we joined today. I'm going to basically turn the mic over to you and you're going to be the host today. You've been a co-host for many episodes. So this time you're going to take the lead and you're going to interview the author of this new book, Pizza Quest. Well, thank you uh, so much for uh, inviting me to, to this episode. Also, uh, I'm so honored to be in this, this, this book because, um, it's very personal to me for many reasons. You and I came from diff, you know, similar backgrounds, being bakers first, owning our own bakery. Yeah, We worked together on uh, the board of directors for the Bread Bakers Guild. I remember sitting and talking to you about barbecue and pizza on my right. farm. Right, right. That's right. The surprise was... Before you even did a pizzeria, you were talking about it, yeah. Right, and then two, uh, two years later, after not seeing each other, Suddenly, you show up on my doorstep of my pizzeria when you're starting. You were on your book tour for. I was on my first pizza book, yeah, and and unexpectedly, uh, the reporter took me to your new pizzeria, uh, right. Pizza Shoals, and uh, and and we reconnected. And I, my first words were, "So you did it! You actually yeah. did it!" <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I would like to ask you because uh, I know you know. A lot of people know you. Some people know you from the pizza world, and some people maybe watching know you from the, the baking world because you've been writing books for many, many years. Uh, I first met you when you were uh, just released the Bread Baker's Apprentice. I was working with Tim Decker in in Santa Rosa. But uh, tell us about what got you into baking in the first place, and you know, tell us a little bit about your your bakery and, and experience there, which led just like me to, to the pizza world. Yeah. Uh, thanks. I was living in Northern California at the time, living in a, in a, a Christian community. It was a, a, a structured community. I was known as brother Peter. Then I was a, a non-denominational Christian brotherhood that essentially was modeled on the Jesuits and the Franciscans and Jews from, and from other traditions. So we were really not affiliated with anyone. Uh, later on, our whole community decided to go all in in Eastern Orthodox Christianity, which is the oldest, most traditional form, because it fit. It was a perfect, you know, sort of follow up to what we had come to on our own. But along the way, we had a lot of skills. And one of the skills that many of us developed was cooking. I had already had a restaurant, you know, when back in my hippie days. And, uh, 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 and my wife also was a really good cook. She was actually the head cook at our retreat center in Northern California, just outside of Santa Rosa, um, in the town of Forestville. So we decided to kind of open a little restaurant uh, as a, 
uh, as a way to provide jobs for the local high school kids and things like that. It was just kind of a, a service project for us. Uh, but we had developed cooking skills. And one of the skills that I got into was baking bread for fun. It was just a hobby. But some of the breads that I came up with um, were really good. And they and we knew that when we opened the restaurant, we'd have to showcase some of those breads. One was basically French bread, which was uh, based on Julia Child's original recipe. And the other was a multigrain bread called Struin. It's a harvest bread that nobody had seen before. And that became kind of our most signature product. Well, that led to a whole lot of other things. And what was the name of the what was the name of the, the restaurant? It was called Brother Juniper's Cafe. And uh, Brother Juniper was a Franciscan, legendary Franciscan monk from the 12th century. Uh, and so we named it after him because he was known for his generosity and hospitality. And uh, and so we were making the breads to go along with our rest of our menu. Uh, and each of us had certain specialties that we did. But I was doing the breads and somehow the breads caught on and they got traction. And uh, prior to all of this, I was always a writer. I had written uh, from high school. I was the editor of my high school paper and I always wanted to do writing. I was in uh, a film and broadcasting major in college. So I had all that communication background as well. So I, but I never pursued it as a career because I didn't know what I had to write about. And then finally, I, you know, I woke up uh, a couple of years after being into this operation and the bakery was growing. Uh, people were buying the breads outside the restaurant. And suddenly I said, I know what I want to write about now. I've got bread as the sort of the, the central symbol of the story I want to tell. And so I wrote a book called Brother Juniper's Bread Book, Slow Rise as Method in Metaphor. And the, and the idea was, the insight was that slow rise bread is better than fast rise bread. It was all right. built on that one little conceit. And it just coincided with the fact that the artisan bread movement was starting to take off across America. And so the Bay Area where we were living was a hotbed for all that. Acme breads and a number of other great bakeries were, were emerging. And the Bread Bakers Guild came into existence shortly after that. And that's how you and I met the first time was that uh, we were we met, I think, at your at your uh, ranch or your house that was up on a hill uh, lo looking down over over the valley and outside of Portland. Actually, the first time we met was in Atlantic City. Oh, we yeah, we had met before that. But I guess it was when we when we reconnected was back at. Right, right, right. So in Atlantic City was there was a Bread Bakers Guild event that we all gathered out and we met there. And so the guild grew and there was a whole network of people. And um, and then I wrote a few books about bread and I just kept getting deeper and deeper into my study of bread and and writing about it. And uh, then I realized, you know what? I'm running out of things to say about bread. What else can I write about? And I went, wait a minute, what else do you love? Because the writer has to write about what they love. And so, you know what? I love pizza. I love pizza. And what's pizza? It's just bread with something on it. And right. so I, so that's the book that you, uh, that you have, that you held up, American Pie, which I wrote about 15 years ago. That's what, again, brought us back 18. together again. Eight, now it's 18 years. That's right. You signed, you signed the inside of this in 2004. Unbelievable. It's hard to believe that so many years have gone by. Uh, so um, so that's when the, a reporter from the Oregonian, when I was in Portland to promote the book, uh, interviewed me and she said, let me take you to a new pizzeria in Shoal Valley uh, that just opened. Um, and maybe we can do the interview there and then you can tell us what you think of the pizza. And I walked in and you came out and you went and I said, Brian, you did it. You did it. <laughs> you know? And 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 a piece of Shoals was born. And I was on a, a whole new subtract. I found out I did have a few more bread books in me, uh, which I kept doing. But in, in between, I was doing pizza books. And, right. and so and then one thing led to another. Um, the uh, my partners at Pizza Quest uh, contacted me because they liked the book. And together we, we came up with with uh, kind of doing a video uh, extension of that first book. My search, the subtitle being my search for the perfect pizza. Uh, and that's what Pizza Quest was about, was doing it and, and chronicling it, you know, online and on, in videos. And during the pandemic, um, we were kind of all locked down. We couldn't do any more camera work or anything. So we I was talking to you and I said, you know, we got to we, we there's a, a hunger for the content. Uh, why don't we start doing a podcast? And you and I came up with the idea for this podcast that we uh, call Pizza Talk. And now it's carried on the uh, Heritage Radio Network as Pizza Quest. And it grew and we did, we got so many interviews in um, uh, that all of a sudden I got, you know, woke up another one of those aha moments in the morning when you wake up and you go, wait a minute, we got all this content. It, let's turn it into a book. Right. And that's what led to this new book, Pizza Quest. Again, subtitled, My Never Ending Search for the Perfect Pizza. 
What have you learned since, you know, it's been 18 years since you wrote uh, American Pie. <clears throat> what have you learned? Uh, has your perspective on pizza changed? I mean, when you were passionate about it 18 years ago, but as it's evolved over the last 18 years, has there been any, anything in particular that, that strikes you, or stands out as? Yeah, it's a good, great a, question. And, uh, um, and I know that just like with bread, you know, once you're on the quest, it never ends. First of all, that's like the key to all this is you never get right. to the end of this because you never stop learning. And so it's been an amazing learning experience. But you know what? Let me let me give some thought to that question, because I think there's a couple different uh, aspects of it that I'd like to uh, address. And especially what I've learned, you know, over these these years in the pizza world. Uh, why don't we take a like a, a segment break right here and come back okay. with a fresh slate? And uh, then I can dive into that question and, and tell you everything I know and, and tell you maybe uh, some of the other people besides yourself who are featured in the book. Uh, and uh, so a lot more to tell you about. But uh, before we run out of a Zoom time on this segment, uh, uh, why don't we take a short break and come back in part two. We'll continue on on what I've learned about pizza. Great. This episode is brought to you by BentoBox, a restaurant marketing and commerce platform that helps you get discovered, make more money, and engage your diners so that you can deliver great hospitality, both in person and online. A Brooklyn fan favorite, Reunion is truly a love letter to Tel Aviv. Opening its doors in 2014, customers adore this light-filled cafe for its authentic Israeli comfort food, including shakshuka, falafel, and a variety of mezes. Reunion is one of over 8,000 restaurants that leverages BentoBox to power their digital front door, including their website, online ordering, event management, and more. Visit getbento.com HRN to learn more and get your first month free. That's getbento.com HRN. Hi, I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director of HRN. HRN is dedicated to amplifying small businesses that keep our communities vibrant. Today, I'm asking business owners to take part in our business membership drive by supporting HRN's mission with a $500 membership. HRN will shine a light on your work, and you'll help sustain our mission to expand the way eaters think about food. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, your business will receive on-air mentions, social media posts, listings on our website, and more. You'll also play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org biz to become a business member today. That's heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Thank you for your support. Welcome to Pizza Quest. I'm Brian Spangler from a Pizza Shoals here in Portland, Oregon, and we're here to talk about Peter Reinhardt and his new book, Pizza Quest. Um, Peter, uh, we've known each other for a long time, and you've been researching pizza for a long time, starting with your your first book, American, American Pie. Pie. Yeah. And then you started seeing trends, and then you kind of wrote a book all about pan pizza, which was the last trend. And now we have Pizza Quest, which has <laughs> got so many, it's so many different styles from so many amazing um, artists uh, in the pizza world. Um, great job, by the way. Thank you very, and thank, also thank honored, honored to uh, to be in this book. Well, as as a pizza yodi, you're one of the few uh, contributors that actually has two recipes in the book. Two pizzas yes. in the book. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for that. And and, sure. and I've been getting a lot of questions about specifically about that clam pizza that you that you contributed. Uh, people are first of all, the photo was fabulous. And uh, and so everyone's asking me about that one. Right. Uh, so so uh, that's going to be, I think, uh, a hit uh, recipe. Yeah, that was the one I created for Anthony Bourdain. Uh, I know that's an amazing story in itself. So what I but, did. Yeah, what I did was in. in uh, in putting this book together, um, 
all the people that, that I interviewed through the, the podcast that we've been doing during the pandemic, of which you participated in quite a number of those interviews and were, yeah, along with John Arena, the, the, the resident Yodis who would do, you know, uh, themed episodes. Um, we had so much great content that I, I, I sent out a letter saying which of those people would be interested in participating in the book project. We got a great response. And in the end, I ended up with 30 uh, 30 people. And I think we interviewed probably over 60 or 70, but 30 of them came back with yes. Um, uh, and when we worked it out, I said, send me uh, the pizza that you'd like to have featured. Send me one or two of the favorite pizzas. And we selected out of the 60 or 70 that came in, um, 35 that made it in the book because we didn't want to be too redundant and everything else. And I wanted to cover, uh, unlike the pan pizza book, which was a wonderful and fun book to write, specifically focused on whether it's Detroit style or Sicilian or focaccia, pizzas baked in pans, Italia. Uh, but um, they, uh, I wanted to open this up to also Neapolitan style and also just kind of inventive, creative things that were like calzones, you name it. So we got some great recipes. And, um, and then the idea was, I didn't want to ask anybody uh for like proprietary recipes or information that was distinct to their process that, that, that they weren't ready to share. Um, so what I, the idea was, was I said, what I need from you is the pizza itself, a description of the pizza and a great photo, a beauty shot of that pizza. And then I will create a homemaker's version of that, that right. will allow an average, you know, every, everyday uh, uh, cook to be able to replicate and get close to your masterpiece. Right. So as and I interpretations. Said, yeah. I call it like a tribute. It'll be a tribute recipe. And I, right. and as I just described it to all the participants, you guys are the Beatles and I'm the Beatles cover band playing in the lobby of the Marriott hotel, playing your greatest hits. And so that's, so I'm the greatest hits guy doing, you know, I'm the disc jockey for, for your, for your, your concepts. And, right. uh, and it worked. It was really a lot of fun to write. I learned so much. You asked me before the break, you know, what I've learned about pizza over the years. And it's been so much because, you know, I mean, like everything, we all start out with just the knowledge that we grew up with and which is pretty limited. And, uh, and so I grew up with, you know, Philadelphia style pizza, which was kind of a playoff of New York style pizza, round Neapolitan-ish pizzas baked in a Baker's pride oven or whatever. And, right. uh, and that was my, my frame of reference for pizza. And then starting on this journey, 18 years ago with with American Pie, seeing this wide uh, canvas of pizza possibilities that are out there and different iterations and different ways to do it. And then within that finding that some many people could do it, but but only some could do it so well that they became destination places. They became memorable and, and they kind of went from good to great. And that was that's been the quest for me is defining the difference between good and great. And trying to kind of find that secret sauce that makes that difference, right. and, and, and consistently, so, and, yeah. And and when I wrote American Pie, there were maybe only twenty or so. You, a piece of Schultz didn't even didn't exist even. You opened after the book came out, uh, but there were only a few. Maybe I would say twenty to twenty five pizzerias in America that were quote destination pizzerias that were that had raised the bar to that level. Uh, and at that time, the the main the one that got most of the attention was Pizzeria Bianco in Phoenix, and that became a benchmark uh, place. Uh, and then later, uh, again, after the book came out, Nancy Silverton opened up uh, a pizza, uh, Mo uh, Moza, Pizzeria Moza. And there were other places that started to push it. Now, I would say there are probably hundreds of pizzerias that have ad adopted the techniques and the methods of the people we showcased in the first book. And the, the whole the, the, the boat has risen, so to speak, with all oh, yeah. these great pizzerias. And uh and so they're learning. And as each of them are learning and then becoming known, uh, I'm just sucking up their knowledge like a sponge and trying to see how that all fits into my view and um, and then reporting on it. I'm just basically the reporter now uh, in these books and having a chance right. to do some good tasting and some fun recipe development. Is there anybody that uh, didn't get in the book that you would have wished did get in the book? Well, yeah, there, there are a few that and like there are people I've not yet interviewed who I've been hearing uh -huh. about. Like Leah Skirto uh, up in Windsor, uh, oh, yeah, up in Sonoma County, which is really close to where my bakery was. But she only opened a couple of years ago. So I didn't right. know her uh, in time to do an interview with her. But I want to get her on our show uh, on Pizza on Pizza Talk um, because I hear she's doing amazing stuff. 
Uh, and there's quite a number of people like that. There's there's way more people that are worthy of being in the book than than we actually have in the book. There's probably another 150 people that could be you know qualified to be in the book. And there's just only so much room and there were only so many people that we could interview at the time. But if the book does well, then we might be able to get a volume two and we can showcase right. them in the next volume. So, you know, if, if people uh, spread the word, maybe we'll get a, uh, a an offer from the publisher to do another round because I'd love to do that. Um, there are certainly people that could have had more than one pizza in the book as well. Um, uh, let me see. Uh, um, well, Chris John Arena, we know is in, you know, because we see his work, but um, the very first pizza that's featured in the book is by Nino Coniglio and his wife, Shailen. And it's a, uh, he calls it the ultimate white pie with garlic confit. Uh, and and um, Nino is a world champion pizza maker out of Brooklyn. Um, his pizzas are really inventive. They're, they're, they, they, he almost always wins competitions where he enters. And he sent me like five pizzas. Every one of them could have made the book, but we had, I had to pick one. And so we went with that one this time. But, uh, you know, so some people might get featured again in the next round because everyone wants to know what their latest creation is. Um, and then, um, you know, we also had a chance to showcase people like uh, Mike Kurtz, the creator of Mike's Hot Honey. Who we've talked right. about, and Mike, uh, you learned the craft of pizza making by working for Paulie G, who's also featured in the book. Uh, but and Mike brought his hot honey to Paulie G, and it it took off, and it became this ubiquitous brand. But um, uh, uh, he, he, uh, Paulie G opened a slice shop uh, where he was doing like New York pizza slices, and it was a very simple recipe. But it's um, um, Mike Mike created this, and they call it the uh, the Hellboy, the Hellboy sliced pizza. And then what makes it the Hellboy is partly the hot honey. And also it was just a, a play on the name that the pizzeria came up with. But it, it's really just a classic pepperoni, you know, uh, or uh, salami style um, pizza with the addition of the hot honey going on at the end when it comes out of the oven. And that has been sort of a game changing product in the pizza industry. So we talk about things that we've learned was that the power of something, a condiment like honey to elevate a great pizza to an even greater status because that honey right. synergizes with the flavors and creates something that, you know, that's a wow experience. Right. Uh, Paulie G's recipe in the book is a uh, very simple and it's uh, what he calls his uh, Monte Cristo. It's kind of a play off the Monte Cristo sandwich, but it's a really simple pizza, just some cheese with slices of Canadian bacon. And instead of using honey on this one, he uses maple syrup. And again, right. the sweetness of the maple syrup brings in an unexpected flavor. But of course, it goes really well with, with the uses Canadian bacon, you know, on that. So you got a little bit of a Canada theme going. But the smoky, you know, the sweet. Yeah, yeah, salty. exactly. All these 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 uh, cardinal sort of taste points. Um, and that's really, I think, the the signature of all the, the pizzas featured in the book is that they they really um, they, they push the envelope of what's possible with flavor delivery. Because I always say pizza is the perfect flavor delivery system, uh, and it always starts with the crust, and that's kind of where the part that at least that I felt like I could hold my own in putting the book together is providing enough uh, dough uh, formulas for any of the rest of the pizzas that came in from the from the contributors, and then then the inventiveness of the things on top were provided by these quote pizza luminaries or pizza geniuses, uh, and. Um, and it, and it's infinite. The, the number of possibilities just seems so infinite, and and we never seem to run out of creativity out there. I don't know about geniuses, like you know, like <clears throat> I was talking to Bianco about this. We feel like old dinosaurs because you know people ask us like, "What's so special about you?" And <laughs> I say, you know, today, I mean, like you know, what's was special about us in the beginning was you know we were pushing boundaries and. And we didn't care what anybody thought, you know, um, but you know, the, now I mean, there, there's nothing special about me. I'm inspired by all this new wave of energy, and uh, and of course, you know, they take they look up to us because we're we're kind of like you know we've been around for twenty. Right. Yeah. Well, right. You were you were the you were the ones who set the benchmarks, and now now we have to run to keep up with the new guys, you know. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Like with some of the, what some of them are doing, and uh, so uh, I'm really inspired by um, the new wave, and um, I'm glad to you know have inspired them to get to where they are at right now. Um, well, it's true, and you know, and um, uh, like you're in Portland, Oregon, which of course was 
was selected by Nathan Mirvold and the modernist people as the best pizza city in America. And, and huh. you're one of the reasons for that, along with the other people. And, and another Portland pizza maker who's featured in the book is uh, is uh, uh, Sarah Minnick. Yeah. Sarah Minnick. And so she has a pizza that's called a summer peach and corn pizza. One of the things that, that kind of came out and I think it's because I was collecting these recipes from everyone or the, the concepts from everyone in the summer. So everybody was you know, excited about peaches and, and fresh corn. And, and some I got a number of corn pizza recipes, a number of peach pizza recipes, but she put corn and pizza together on her pizza. And, uh, and of course, you can only get it at her pizzeria during those peak months, probably for about a, a six week period, you can get that pizza. And it's you moving on. You but, never know what you're going to get when you walk in the door at, at Lovely's. Love, Lovely's uh, 50-50, right? Right. Yeah. Just don't go, you, know, you can get like a basic um, margarita, right? That's always on the menu. But from yeah. that, whatever else is on the menu, do not have any expectations because it's constantly revolving and, and changing. And I, and I have not been to, uh, to Portland for a few years because of the pandemic. So I haven't been to Lovely's. And I need to, to get there. And I'm trying to get back to Portland this year now that mm -hmm. I can fly again. Uh, but it's the 50 50, if I'm not mistaken, refers to a 50 percent pizza and 50 percent ice cream. Right. Wasn't ice cream a big part of it? Is she still making fresh ice cream every day? Oh, oh yeah. See, yeah. I got to get there. I got to get there. I could do a whole book on ice cream quest. Yeah, she, <laughs> she, makes her own, she makes her own kombucha. She's she's a little. Uh, that's and that's the kind of thing, too, that really speaks to the, what's happened, the, 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 the movement, the quest movement, so to speak, of pressing the envelope is that that more and more people who are entering the pizza world are artisans there and they do, and they, and they can play in a lot of different fields. They can do fermentation of, of kombucha and, uh, and they, and they're at the farmer's market every day buying fresh produce. I mean, they're, they're doing what the, what the famous white tablecloth chefs did 30 years ago. They're going, they're, they're making everything fresh based on what's available, what's seasonal, what's local. Uh, we're seeing a lot of that in the pizza world. And that's, you know, to where it's almost again, uh, become a cliche. It, it was so, so, right. uh, 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 you know, like sort of, um, game changing when everyone started doing it, but now everyone's doing it. So what's right. next, you know, and then that's kind of, uh, a big part of this, this quest at the beginning of the book, I have a, a list I call the 10 commandments of pizza that, uh, kind of lays out kind of what I think are the guiding principles of what makes a great pizza. But then on the last page of the book, I have the epilogue. I call it the 11th commandment of pizza and, and the 11th commandment of pizza is, let me, let me read it for you. So I don't misquote myself. It is more about the quest than it is about the pizza and the quest never ends. So for me, you know, pizza is like, just as bread is in my bread books, a metaphor for something more than just pizza or more than just bread. It's about something else. It's about this, this, this urge that drives us in search of more meaningfulness in our life. And, right. and, uh, you know, a few years ago, you would laugh if you said that pizza makers could be, you know, at the forefront of that, but now the, the creativity and the artisanship that's coming up uh, and inventiveness that's coming in through the pizza community, it really does, you know, it is, uh, more about the quest. It's people that are pushing the envelope and looking for meaning and purpose and things that a contribution to make the, the world a better place. I think that's really, you know, part of that quest. And, and the pizza, the pizza makers have a, uh, when you, well, you go to pizza expo, you're with 10,000 other people who are part of this extended family or tribe. Uh, I call it a tribal gathering when we, when everyone gets together, even in Las Vegas, it's a tribal gathering. Um, yes. And, and there's more people in the pizza uh, tribe than there is in the bread artisan bread making tribe, because I think mainly because you can make more money in pizza than you can in selling artisan bread. Well, you know, Peter, uh, <clears throat> making a living at making bread is uh, it's a tough gig. Well, you know, because you, 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 you did the same thing. You jumped out of the bread category and into the pizza category because right. I think you could sustain a lot, you know, a living that way a lot easier. Oh, yeah, because I did it the stupid way. Well, actually, I won't, I won't say it that. But I, I followed uh, what Chad Robertson did with his first bakery out in, uh, what was that, Point Ray Station? Point Ray's, yeah, yeah. Where uh, he, he was living with Alan Scott, and Alan built him an oven, an old pottery studio, and he mixed the, the dough in, in wood troughs and, yeah. you know, 
barely got any sleep and Elizabeth would drive it down to Berkeley and it'd already be sold out, you know, <laughs> right, right. Get that four was... hours of sleep and start all over again. Yeah. And that was so revolutionary. And it was like 30 years ago. And now yeah. Tartine Bakery is a, you know, global brand. And, uh, but I think that's cool because a lot of people who are well-known now, they started out at the grassroots level doing everything the hard way and right. learning by doing not from a, from a book somewhere. Right. So, uh, you know, so you were at the forefront of both the bread, the, the bread tribe and then leaped like myself into the pizza tribe. I remember some of the people uh, like Craig Ponser going pizza, huh? <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> right. And Absolutely. now, of course, at Craig's Bakery in, uh, you know, in Marin County, his, his, his biggest night is his pizza night. Now he, he sells uh, slices of pizza and, exactly. and it pays the bills. I can tell you that a lot better yeah. than than a than a baguette. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, even at like Tartine, it's not the bread that makes the money. It's all the uh, the pastries. The yeah. Ben Wassaude is the money. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, so that's, those are learning part of everyone's learning curve is, you know, the business side, we all have learning curves in business. It's the other thing we all learn when we get into it. Uh, uh, and if we survive, it is how hard you have to work to build a successful business, whether it's bread or pizza, it's that it doesn't just, you know, it's not just the cash register that, that works on its own unless you can build it to that point, but uh, it's hard work to get it there and oh, yeah. you pay the price for that. Um, Both mentally and, and physically. Yeah. But if you don't, if you're not willing to put in those 10,000 hours or whatever it is that they say you'd, the minimum number of hours, you know, you're not going to be able to make that breakthrough. So while sure. there are now, uh, you know, a couple hundred pizzerias working at that highest level, um, there are thousands of other pizzerias that are just doing good pizza, but they don't have the drive or the ambition to necessarily want to change the world through their pizza. And I think right. that's that's one of the characteristics of the people that we're showcasing in the book is these are people that really want to change the world, whether it's through pizza or anything else that they do. They're 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 world changers because they have a, a perspective of the transformational quality of doing high level work, you know, whether it's in food or any other area. So in, in, in your quest for, you know, during your, your journey, I mean, it's kind of a two part question. Um, is there anything that we were speak, talking about trends right now, like hot honey is a trend. And yeah. you know, for a while there, Neapolitan was a trend. Pan pizza, Detroit style was a trend. Um, not even so much about trends. Is there anything along the way that in the journey of, of pizza, artisanal pizza growing that you don't like? Is there anything? Don't like? that mm. That's a good question. That's a hard question to answer. Things that I don't like. Well, um, I'm not sure. Uh, I think that for me, one of the breakthroughs in, on the positive side of, of what happened in the pizza world was the, the realization that it really does start with the crust, that you've got to you have to have a great crust and you have to be proud of the crust you're making. And the investment that a lot of the new generation pizza operators uh, you know, are doing is just they're, they're understanding the science of bread making. This is the artists and bread community really contributed to that. They brought the science and the techniques into the pizza world, which is really just another subset of bread. And uh, and and they're using them. You know, I get calls from, you know, again, like uh, uh, someone like um, um uh, Nino, Nino calls me, you know, and, and I'm sure he's called you in the middle of the night too. And he goes, I, I got a question. I got a question. I need to know about the oven, you know, and the BTUs and blah, blah, blah. And he's like on fire with the science side of it. And and this is a guy that could bake pizza, you know, in his sleep, but he, now he wants to know also the science because he's, cause he's cause I want to make it even better. And, um, and so that I think has been a big plus. And, right. then, and, and then, and then of course, because there's a lot of success, the part that you have to watch out for is the people that want to grow too fast. This is what the part I don't like is you get something going, you got a good thing, but then you grow real fast or, or the movement of these uh, franchise um, uh, fast, casual pizzerias, uh, some of which are better than others. Uh, it's a phenomenon to me that, um, that any of them survive at all when there's usually better pizza around, but yet there's a market for it. And some of them are doing a, a decent job. I, I think that if you had to, uh, ranked like the top uh, franchise or multi-unit pizzerias. Mod Pizza seems to be at the top of the pyramid of success stories, at least today. Will they be able to maintain that success or not? I don't. I don't know. Um, there's a success lot of financial success. Yeah, the financial. The you know because they're commit. They they believe that they have a good product and they use fresh ingredients. It's kind of like Chipotle. It's all 
the concept's strong, but when you try to replicate it and you're just hiring employees and they don't have the fire in their belly to, to understand the craft, you know, right. and as Tony, as Tony Gemignani marks on his boxes, respect the craft. And if you don't have that, you know, in your staff, then you can only get to a certain level. You can be good, but not great. But that doesn't mean you won't make money. You can make a lot of money just being good. A lot of people are happy with a good pizza that just, you know, is fast and easy for them and and uh, doesn't make them feel like uh, they have to change the world with every bite of pizza that they eat. Um, so there's room for that. But I think that the problem is, is that you can't sustain a lot of growth in the pizza segment uh, if the workforce isn't there. And if you're not training your workforce into understanding the, the craft side of the of the business. So I would say, and, and there have been a lot of these, uh, um, what would you call them, the, the Neapolitan fast casual places that you get in line and you walk down the line and tell them what you want on your pizza. And by the time you get to the end of the line, the pizza is coming out of the oven. It's a great concept. Um, and the pizzas are okay because all pizzas are good. There's only good and great. There's no bad pizza. But, but, uh, it, but the problem was is that there were so many of them that kind of came out at the same time over the last 10 years that only a few of them have survived. And because there, there just wasn't enough, you know, to go around. And really when the, when the, when the pandemic hit, the workforce just shriveled up. So, you know, as an operator, how hard it is to cultivate a great staff and, and keep them, you know, working. So right. those are things that I worry about. I, I can't say that I'm, that I'm, um, you know, that I don't like as much as I worry about, uh, you know, try, growing the pizza segment to where we lose the quality and the craft. And, but, but there will always be both. There'll always be both. I just, I just, you know, I've talked with a couple of local large, the big companies, you know, the pizza huts and the dominoes. I've, I, I talk with them all the time too. And they have an ambition within the company culture to get their pizzas to at least try to get close to the benchmarks that the artisan pizza makers and the craft pizza makers are doing. Uh, but it's just hard to sustain that level over 2000 or 3000 shops around the world when, right. you know, it has to be mass produced. So there's trade-offs that you make, but the trade-offs work for them because they're making money. So right. you know that's the balancing act that everybody right. has to, and, and people that are successful like yourself, you have, you reach a point where you have to go, okay, I can't sustain this pace anymore. Personally, I need people to help carry the load. How do I how do I train and prepare the next generation? Right, exactly. There has to be a a plan for the exit. Yeah, I'm trying to work on that plan because my body's starting to break down. Yeah, yeah. Well, somebody told me when I had my bakery, uh, and he was a consultant that that he just given me a free consult because uh, uh, he his his wife uh, was a friend of mine, and he said I said I said uh, well what can you do to help me make this successful? And he said. Um, he said, well, let me ask you this. What's your exit strategy? And I said, I never thought about that. I don't have an, he says, first rule of business, always start out with an exit strategy. <laughs> and so, so, it's, so it's definitely time to get onto it. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I'm, I'm afraid we've run out of Zoom time here. This, this, I feel like uh, I could talk with you for hours. And of course we do on the phone all the time, Brent, but uh, I think we're running out of tape here. So uh, we're probably going to have to wrap this up. Um, uh, you have one Before final we question wrap this up, yeah, give me one final question. Uh, let's talk about the Ten Commandments that you never touched. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll read those and then we, and then, uh, and then hopefully uh, everybody can find the book, which you can find at your bookstores. It's available now on Amazon. Um, let me get the page with the Ten Commandments. Page five, it's right at the beginning of the book. Okay, here are my, these are my Ten Commandments. There are, only, there are only two kinds of pizza, good and very good. And by very good, I mean great. And by great, I mean memorable. Memorableness means you can't stop thinking about it, can't wait to go back, can't wait to take your friends. This is the determination of greatness. And if you need an example, then you go to a place like a piece of Shoals and you know what I'm talking about. Uh, two, there is no such thing as the perfect pizza. There are only perfect pizzas. And I thanked... Uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell and Howard Moskowitz, a consultant who kind of coined that phrase that there's there's no such thing as a perfect pasta sauce. There are only perfect pasta sauces. And I think this is true. There's so many ways to do pizza. There's not one perfect version. When it comes to toppings, more is not always better. Better is better. Uh, fourth, great pizza always starts with a great crust. 
An average crust with great toppings can never be more than interesting, while a great crust with barely any toppings can still be a great pizza. Five, respect the craft. And I thank Tony Gemignani for coining that phrase. Six, the single most important tools for pizza makers are our hands. These hands are the mark of a true artisan. And uh, we thank Rob DiNapoli of DiNapoli Tomatoes for coining that phrase and starting a whole movement. When it comes to bread or pizza dough, understanding fermentation is the key and time is the most important ingredient. A recipe is a template, a guideline, but it is not a law. Understand the letter, but follow the spirit. Number nine, the only pizza rule that matters is the flavor rule. That is flavor rules. And 10, tradition should be honored and respected, but as a verb, not a noun. Pizza tradition is constantly expressing itself anew in the ever-present now. Got a little zen on you there at the end. So, so those are my 10. And of course, the, the 11th we talked about um, and uh, and everything that happens in the pages between the 10 and the 11th is how to do these, you know, at least 35 memorable pizzas, calzones, uh, uh, focaccias, all sorts of things that are uh, provided by these pizza luminaries that I've had the honor to get to talk to over the last few years. Awesome. Well, <clears throat> I wish you great success on this book. Thank I'm, you. I'm thanks so much. And thanks, and thanks for your contributions to it. Uh, I'd love your tart flambe uh, recipe as well. I think that if, if I was going to pre make a tr uh, prediction, I'd say that the tart flambe style of pizza could be the next big big uh, wave. That's what I, I think. I think, I think it you're right. Be. I think you're right. And, and you'll be part of uh, making that happen, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, Brian. Well, well, thanks for thanks for interviewing me. It's really nice to have somebody throw questions at me. I will look forward. We're going to have you back on uh, on Pizza Car, uh, Quest uh, in the future. We're going to do a whole episode on bagels with uh, because bagels are now moving into the pizza sector, and I know that uh, you've got some interest in that. We tend to like to hear try to spot the, the coming trends. So we did it with the tavern pizza, and uh, and I think uh, bagels could be the next one. Maybe we'll do a tart flambe episode as well. Sure, that'd be great. So we got to get the the Yodis back. You and John Arena back on the same same uh, uh, episode, and 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 we've added to our Yodi panel over the year with people like Tony Gemignani and Dan Richer and some of the greats. So we just keep bringing them in. And uh, thank you so much for not only this episode but for helping to ideate and create this whole series of interviews uh, that we call Pizza Talk on Pizza Quest because you're really a, one of the founding. Uh, not just the, the Yodi, but you're one of the founding, you know, members of of this of this whole series. I'm honored. So, yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, and so uh, I'm just going to say goodbye to everybody for and thank you for joining us, uh, Brian. Uh, thanks for hosting today, and we'll see you on the upcoming episode of Pizza Talk on Pizza Quest. Pizza Quest is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.